How's the sequel going? Sequel sucks. Bullshit generalization. Many sequels have surpassed their original. Oh, yeah? Name one. I'll be back. Why won't you die? Prime, you can't die. Can reboot, damn it. Reboot complete. Thank you very much. Movies. Never say die. Welcome to Movies Never Say Die podcast with a singular focus, movies that are reboots, reimaginings, or sequels to other films. I'm Justin St. Ange. And I'm Matthew Grant. This is episode number 11. On this episode of Movies Never Say Die, we take a look at Tom Holland's run as Spider-Man with a focus on Spider-Man Far From Home. But first, here's a look at official announcements, rumors, and hearsay for upcoming reboots in our opening segment, In the Pipeline. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Pipeline. Pipeline. Okay, up first in the pipeline, we got a couple of new trailers for two pretty big franchises from the 80s and uh, into the early 90s. Uh, first up, Rambo, the return of John Rambo for uh, Rambo Last Blood. Sylvester Stallone returning to his second big uh, big franchise character but uh to close it out again what did you think about that trailer i think it was really different than the first one which i liked the first one i think we talked about it in a recent episode and it seemed to kind of have that same kind of downtrodden vibe that logan did when logan's first shows came out a very low-key song and a lot of iconic shots you've got the shots of rambo with his explosive arrows and that sort of thing right and it it really did feel like a kind of somber trailer along the lines like i said of logan and this one really just ups the ante with a whole bunch of text coming at you a whole bunch of explosions and i thought it was actually kind of bold that they had some juxtaposition between shots of him in the earlier films as a younger john rambo with him Currently, I mean, what we said last time, what is he in his 60s, the 70s, something like that? Yeah. And so I think I thought that was kind of bold to kind of go back and forth. They had kind of mirror images of, you know, him pulling back the arrow when he's in his 20s or whatever it was back in the early 80s in that first film and then just back and forth. And it, it really, at least for me, I thought it did a really good job of differentiating itself from that earlier trailer and building excitement for the fact that Stallone can still kick ass and refer to the fact that they're wrapping up this decades-long franchise. And uh, I've seen most of the films. I've never been a huge Rambo fan, but just as kind of a general action trailer, I thought this fit the bill for what you need to show. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would watch it based on... it. it you know, some of it seemed kind of straight-to-video-esque. Like, some of the music and titles seemed a little... The production value seemed a little low. On, it just seemed kind of... And like I said, like like a movie you would find straight to video. Like I thought the first trailer was a little better and the production values were a little higher. But other than that, I mean, it did everything an action trailer needs to do and kind of reintroduces you to the character and lets you know this is going to be the last one. Uh, what about you? What did you think of uh, Last Blood? Yeah, I have some of the same thoughts. I, I agree that the, the first trailer had, I don't know if you know, that song... Um, Old Town Road. It's a current song. Uh, that's the song that they use for that the first trailer. It's kind of like a 
well, there, there's it's a country song, um, and they kind of changed it a little bit for that trailer. Uh, it was actually like at the top of the Billboard for like it, at least twelve weeks. I think it took the record for number one, and yeah, and only recently dropped out of the number one spot. But yeah, so that that was a little odd to have a a song like that for that first trailer, but it was a lot more somber i guess you want to say that the first trailer compared to this one but i do like like you said the little flashbacks and the showing the you know the changes and the side by side or not side by side but the back and forth between old uh, rambo and the current rambo who's actually like bigger now like like stallone, somehow stallone is bigger yeah, he than looked when kind he's of skinnier like he still had muscles but he looked more emaciated in those earlier things and you look at you're like man stallone has like this massive neck and just this giant like wide shoulders and he was a little more sinewy back then like it was yeah i think i think it's the i think it's the difference between being young and in shape and being old and having taken like hgh for (laughs) steroids for many years i don't know probably but uh you know the the rambo movies are pretty simple formula i guess you know loner but badass you know has to deal with his big problem of the day what i what i'm interested in is he keeps saying he's coming home and it doesn't seem like it takes place in the u.s right it it looks like or it seems like it's uh you know somewhere in south america or central america or something like that i I kind of got that vibe too i'm not sure i haven't read a ton about it but you seem to get that vibe based on the stuff he's saying and you know people that we're seeing that he's fighting against but it's tough because you don't really even necessarily get any good looks at who he's <laughs> fighting it's mostly just far off shots of jeeps exploding and you know a couple quick shots so i guess it's his niece is that his is that the idea in the film it's his niece i guess or yeah i mean she calls him uncle john Honestly, I'm at a total loss as to we've ever seen either family members or it's been mentioned in previous movies. So I'm not quite sure. It could just be, you know, a close friend's daughter. You know, sometimes you're you're very close with someone. You just call them uncle or, you know, something. It could be something like that. Or he's, uh, yeah, when was the last Rambo sequel? I was already almost 10 years, right? Yeah, it felt like it was much more recent. But I think when you and I talked about it last, we found out it was it was probably about uh, five, 10 years ago. <laughs> I like so, to call you but... Uncle Justin. <laughs> call everyone Uncle. <laughs> That'll just be it from now on. Welcome to Movies Never Say Die. I'm Uncle Justin. I'm Uncle Matt. <laughs> like Uncle Cracker. <laughs> Is he still around? I don't think he's doing anything. Check this. Check the list of state fairs. Let's see. <laughs> I like how I say that as though we're in this wildly successful uh, situation. No. Our podcast is regularly broadcast at state fairs all around the country, and we're proud of it. We can only hope. Oh, but I was watching, speaking of like uh, music stars, one-hit wonders or something, I was watching the, the VMAs, uh, I guess, last week or early this week. I don't even think I realized they still did that. That's funny. It was, you know, it's funny. It was, it was on, and I was, I had nothing left to do, and I guess they were, they were given the Missy Elliott, the Michael Jackson Vanguard Award. So I was curious to see, to see that set, and I ended up watching, watching the whole thing, and some of the, one of the, the nominees for like the Latin music 
one of the light music categories is um flashed on screen and i don't know all the all the latin music artists but it was a, it was a song with someone featuring snow <laughs> and the and the little clip of the song that they played was like informer like the beat and the, the not the same words but like they they used it i think i think i may have heard it somebody really for me. I th- yeah i think i did i found it yeah i watched the video it's it's all <laughs> but yeah He's a he's a VMA nominee in 2019. Imagine being snow and just thinking you're done, and then all of a sudden, 25, 30 years later, whatever it is, informer, a sample <laughs> gets you another nomination years later. Uh, oh my god, our tangents are legendary. <laughs> they are. Something tells me if if we can, a lot of that will get cut. <laughs> Tangent cast. And it's funny that you mentioned the uh, his bow and his giant arrowheads because that's also something that I don't know if everybody, right? Yeah, I think everybody notices that. But yeah, it's it's good that he's brought the brought that back. Although he seems to have upgraded, there's like stuff he's putting underground, and there's there's a lot of uh, boom boom situations that uh, he has definitely upped his game in this movie. Yeah, I mean, if he's home and he's on his his home turf, it'll be like Laurie Strode in her basement. She can she can do. It. <laughs> She's got it all covered. Just build a trap in your house. <laughs> this is my root cellar, and it's also a trap for Michael Myers. And then I guess the other trailer that I mentioned we would talk about is, uh, I guess it's the final. I think they said it's the final trailer. The yeah, the final trailer for Terminator: Dark Fate. So I've been fooled before, Justin, but I am. So excited about this movie now. <laughs> like, I was excited about Genesis. Well, I mean, I wasn't super excited about Genesis, but there was some cool looking stuff in the trailers. But like, this is this is a Terminator trailer I was waiting to see. And half the stuff looks like stuff they've done in past Terminator movies. But it looks really good. I don't know how you feel about it, but... You got to see all the stuff that I thought was missing from the first trailer. A lot of stuff that clarifies at least slightly more of the plot that we're looking at in this film. Uh, yeah. More from Arnie, more from Linda Hamilton. Yep. And just just more, just more in general. I mean, it's it. there's an obvious nod back to those first two well done, most successful films, but at the same token, upgraded VFX, a very cool vibe, the likes of which you saw in this most recent Halloween with Lindo Hamilton coming back, Arnold Schwarzenegger coming back with new people augmenting the original cast. I'm excited. I'm probably an idiot because this trailer absolutely suckered me in. <laughs> but I don't know. How did, how did you feel when you first saw it? Like, just. No, I, I, I'm very, very much on the same side uh, as you. It looks. It looks excellent. I, I was looking forward to Genesis only in the fact that it was going to be a continuation of the Terminator franchise, and but I I thought all those trailers looked like crap, so I was not totally excited. Plus, I think they you know I think we talked about it before. It's it seemed like they spoiled some stuff in those trailers that that were that were not good things that they shouldn't have done in the first place uh, in the movies. But but yeah, like you said, since they're you know, and it's got to be it's got to be. James Cameron's, you know, return as producer influencing it, right? And it just seems like it's part of the same DNA as those first tra- uh, first two movies, and just 
pushing it forward. Obviously, we know the effects will be better and more fantastic and stuff like that. But we do, we see, you know, Arnold as an aging Terminator, which they've already, you know, kind of shown. But now that it's so far, so far past the uh, the first two, we, we see definitely, um, you know, his, his organic uh, pieces are, are aging to, you know, maintain his blending in. This obviously can't be the same Terminator that was melted at the end of T2, but he's been holed up in the woods somewhere doing something. And I think and, um, when I texted you when I first saw the trailer, it was like, and you you obviously said that everybody needed, needed this, but I said, I didn't know how much I needed Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor saying, I'll be back, <laughs> you know? And I think that was the end of the trailer, right? Or or very much towards the end of the trailer. Yeah, that was one of the last, those are like the money shot moments there, yeah. Yeah, and we got the... Uh, the new Terminator, you know, Gabriel Luna, like, splitting into two and stuff like that and all the sorts of stuff. He seems like he has, like, a, a personality more than previous, you know, kind of wooden Terminators because obviously they're, they're machines. But you would think a futuristic machine might be able to have some sort of <laughs> blending in personality. You would hope. One would hope. Yeah. But my biggest question is that, and I think she said it in the first trailer, too, Sarah Connor about the uh, the girl that they're protecting. Um, that I was her when she's kind of screaming that at one point. I'm trying to. Is is that? Well, she's not a little girl, but is is that character also pregnant with you know the savior, the new savior? I'm not sure. Yeah, it could mean. I guess that could mean a lot of things. That could mean that she's somehow directly connected to the resistance. It could mean she's being hunted by the Terminators for an entirely different reason, or it could just mean she's right. someone who's innocent, living her life without any idea that this is happening, who's suddenly thrust into this yeah. chaotic, insane situation. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I didn't think of the deeper meanings behind that. It's a good point. I could, yeah, I mean, they could, could honestly do anything. In la- last show, we, uh, we talked about the casting of Eddie Furlong, and we still haven't seen... Not even like a shot, not even like a single still image or any voiceover or anything, which I think is, that's a little weird to me. I mean, it's such a big deal that they cast. I mean, I mean, unless unless it's literally just a one-scene cameo, yeah, it's weird. I think it's really weird that we haven't seen a single image or heard a line of dialogue or anything like that. I think it's, I don't know if it's necessarily disconcerting or a bad thing necessarily but it's it'll be very interesting to see how he's actually utilized the movie since we've seen nothing of him in the promotional materials leading up to the film outside of just his news being cast yeah yeah we will see we better unless he's if he's a a terminator i'm gonna be upset i'm gonna be very upset (laughs) Right. Justin's on record as saying he'll be upset if he's a Terminator, but otherwise, it's all good. So in a bit of news that I certainly found to be unexpected, the Wachowskis have announced that they are moving forward with a continuation in the Matrix series with both Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss returning. Uh, I think, did she die in the last, in the third one? <laughs> or somebody, I don't know. Did she, or did her character, did Trinity actually die in the third one or no? 
I don't think so. Okay, maybe I was I think... I mean, do you ever... I don't, I don't know. The, the, the third one especially was very discombobulated in terms of what's how things will happen um except for the very end when you know neo sacrifices himself and somehow the and you know the the truce occurs between the you know humans and the and the machines in the matrix but um well, you know what i i am looking at it here on the in the plot, uh, that's when she remember she gets uh, she gets impaled by that giant piece of metal. <laughs> and it's, yeah, I, I always crash. thought I always thought it was kind of an unintentionally funny scene because it starts off with a close up of her face, and the dialogue is weird. It's just like I can't remember the exact dialogue because it's been such a long time since I've seen it. But the dialogue is something like you know, is it bad or something like that? Because I think Neo also has the. <laughs> He's he's blind. Yeah, he's got yeah he's got the blindfold on, and so he says something along those lines like, "Is it bad?" or you know, "Are you okay?" And then it cuts to the wide shot, and it's this massive piece of rebar through her chest. It's like it's like multiple, right? Yeah, yeah, she's she's absolutely (laughs) absolutely not okay. (laughs) And so I always found that unintentional. Just the way they shot it was just weird. Like it was obviously tragic. She was a great character, and it was very affecting. But just the way they shot it, it just seems so ridiculous that it was a close up of her. And then it was him asking or saying some piece of dialogue that just didn't make sense. So then pop to that wide shot. But yeah, she did. So it is confirmed. I mean, even even in the news, it says despite her character's death in the Matrix Revolutions, Carrie Ann Moss will return her prize or role. Okay. And then they're saying production starts early 2020. I mean, I think it's exciting news. I really liked the first Matrix. It was groundbreaking. It was a phenomenal film. I'd have you know, I at the time I enjoyed the second two films more than a lot of people did I'd have to go back and rewatch them just to see how they hold up but not a lot of news outside of the camp except for the fact that you've got the main creative elements uh, Keanu being a huge part of it and then the Wachowskis coming back to work on it but I don't know what are your, what are your thoughts on more Matrix uh, well I guess more Matrix is always better than <laughs> Not no more matrix. I don't know. I'm I'm excited in that something so so awesome and so cinematically you know important, especially the first one. They're gonna take a look at it again, and of course with Keanu and uh, Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, I, I think actually only Lana Wachowski is involved in this. I, I don't think both sisters are coming back for this, uh, at least as far as what I've read. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what direction it'll be able to take. Right? I mean, it seemed like, regardless of everyone really hating on the last two, and I kind of like you enjoyed them probably more than the the consensus amongst the watchers of well, the watchers. <laughs> <clears throat> who are these mysterious watchers? <laughs> everyone who saw those two, yeah, it seemed like they kind of closed it up. You know, I mean, Trinity died, and then there was. The war ended, and hopefully, I mean, you know, the Oracle and um, oh, I forget the, that character's name. You know, the one that was in charge. You know, architect, not the librarian, but architect. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's much better than librarian. <laughs> um, My brain just shushes you while the machines are making noise. <laughs> but I mean, I guess it's safe to say that the war 
pops back up. Yeah, I don't know. Because if they're leaving, living in peace, then that's not going to be a very fun movie. Just like holding hands, robot um, <laughs> machines and, <laughs> and humans. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll find out. It's, you know, unless something happens where this doesn't, you know, go through to production since it's very early on in the news that we got about this. But uh, who knows? Next, we got a bunch of a bunch. We got a little bit of casting news for uh, two different movies that are, like I said, casting. So it's very early in the process. First, we'll talk about, I think, something very near and dear to Matt and my heart: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mortal Kombat going to be rebooted on the big screen. I think we mentioned that they've done some stuff on TV show or maybe YouTube or something like that. But we're going to get a full-on reboot of the Mortal Kombat franchise on in theaters. Produced by uh, James Wan, I think, you know, I believe or so, yeah. director extraordinaire, <laughs> um, and Aquaman, which I still haven't seen. But they've casted a bunch of uh, characters already. Um, Joe Taslim as Sub-Zero. He's been in a bunch of stuff. I think he was most well-known here first for uh, The Raid. He's an uh, Indonesian actor. Obviously, all these people are martial arts people as well, so... And a couple other guys. The most recent casting was um uh the american actor chin han is going to be shang sung your soul is mine <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh scorpion is going to be played by uh japanese actor uh hiroyuki sanada hopefully i didn't uh, butcher that but he was most recently seen in endgame as like the yakuza boss that hawkeye kills at the, oh, the, the last guy that... the last guy he kills okay yeah yeah, very exciting, Matt. What do you think? We're getting Mortal Kombat again. <laughs> well, Justin, as you may or may not know, I am a fan of the Mortal Kombat series. <laughs> and I'm accepting this news calmly and rationally, as one should with news of this magnitude. <laughs> not at all. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I, it's been such a long time since we've had a Mortal Kombat film in theaters, and it's... It's nice to see the casting moving along the lines of, you know, I mean, nothing, nothing against actors that act in bargain basement films, but like it seems like they're really hitting all the right points when they're casting these folks. Like it's really, like you said, you know, legit martial artists, acting chops for days. It's just, it's very exciting to see them taking this seriously and, you know, just seeing what they're doing for the casting, I'm excited to see what they'll end up with because they're not just... And, and you know, you look at the first series of films, it's not like they, those were all, like, C-list level actors. But it's very easy when you make a movie like this that you don't necessarily think of as, like, an Oscar-caliber movie, like, really focusing on the people you're casting in these characters. But I think they're doing a pretty good job of casting people that are skilled in martial arts so they don't have to you know cut back and forth necessarily between stunt doubles and them and people that are that make sense to actually cast in these roles and they're respecting the characters whether they're you know coming from a video game or not they're taking they're taking this pretty seriously as a legit movie and so it's uh yeah i think this is definitely the right direction for a successful film for sure yeah, 
I mean, as much as I love the first one, and we had uh, you know Bridget Wilson played Sonya Blade, and you know a lot of her her fighting scenes looked a little a little clumsy. If I'm if I might say, uh, <laughs> I think you can say she knows. I think, I think she knows what she did. That I can can criticize that, and we don't really see him fight fight. And I mean, I don't really care because, but Christopher Lambert as Raiden. I mean. The, it makes no sense casting all, but I it's love fantastic oh, no. on screen. <laughs> when I first heard about it, I'm like, Christopher Lambier, and then I watched it, and I was like, this is fine. I don't care. He, he, yeah. I, I, I assume the... Uh, Mortal the Kombat. person casting that role will be able to to put down some uh, some beatdowns on screen. One would hope. Yeah. Or, you know what? Uh, Let's cast Christopher Lambier again. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think uh, I think it's okay that they're not casting Christopher Lambert. It's all right. I think uh, I think in the upcoming one they casted. Uh, let's see here, Tadanobu Asano, another Japanese. Uh, what says Japanese actor and musician? So interesting. We we get Raid in the Rock Out. Ah oh, yes. Oh, and he's also says that he also popped up in the MCU in all three Thor films as Hogan the Grim. One of three warriors who fights by Thor's oh, side really? of Asgard. Yeah. All right, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at his picture, his actual picture now. Yeah, okay, totally. Nice. Like I tell you, it's hard to pull me out, but I'm definitely all in on Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the other casting news, it's it's even less casting. I think only two people have been cast, um, but they're doing a spin-off of the G.I. Joe movies, and Snake Eyes is going to get his own movie, which is also very exciting, because I would say probably nine... I think it's it's proven. 95% of G.I. Joe fans have Snake Eyes as their favorite <laughs> character. <laughs> this this has been this has been decided. This is, this is fact. Um... <laughs> <laughs> That's really why we went to... Anybody who saw the... G.I. Joe and then G.I. Joe Retaliation, I think they were just going to see it for Snake Eyes. Oh, totally. Even though the first one had him had weird lips on his his totally covered <laughs> face. Because why wouldn't you draw lips on your mask? Why wouldn't you? It's kind of like right. when the Transformers the... ended up with lips. I thought that was very strange in the yeah. Michael Bay movies. But, his, but Snake Eyes is also silent. Like, maybe not mute, but he doesn't talk, period. So why'd they even have to give him lips? Who knows? <laughs> People like looking at lips. <laughs> they yeah. Well, they they fixed it for for the uh, the second one, Jesus Retaliation. Christ. But Ray Ray Park played uh, Snake Eyes in both those That's movies. Right, yeah. Obviously, extremely uh, talented uh, stuntman and martial artist, and you know Darth Maul and all that stuff. So he he did pretty well in those. Um, but in the new. Snake Eyes spinoff coming up. They've casted uh, Crazy Rich Asians actor Henry Golding to play the uh, titular character. Um, and I think another one just recently, they casted Storm Shadow. Uh, let me get his name here. Andrew Koji. He's been in a bunch of stuff I have not seen, but I think most recently HBO's Warrior, the TV series on HBO. I have not watch that i believe it's based off of bruce lee's like writings and a tv show that he wanted to make and they eventually made it 
but I've heard that the action in that is fantastic. So that that'll be pretty good, I'm sure. Okay. And uh, that is it. Two people cast for a movie I did not know was coming, but <laughs> also very excited. Not to be confused with that. What was it? Mid nineties. Nicholas Cage movie, Snake Eyes, like uh, <laughs> something in the Atlantic City Casino. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. It's uh, much like I like to bring up Mortal Kombat every chance I get. I know you would be more than happy to insert Nicholas Cage in any chance you get. Although I'm right on board the Nicholas Cage train. I think we talked about him in the last episode in regards to your wish list item for doing a live action into the Spider-Verse and making sure they did not film that without Nicolas Cage playing the role of uh, Spider-Man Noir. Right. I love everything. Maybe we can do a whole episode of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> every, every pipeline set, uh, topic will uh, trying to th- be involved and then the main topic and then both of our uh, wish lists will be <laughs> Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I want a remake of Snake Eyes starring Nicolas Cage featuring... <laughs> Nicholas Cage. He's going to reboot his own movie. Because that's what he does. That's my very bad Nicholas Cage impersonation. All right, taking a look at another long dormant franchise that is coming back to join us in theaters next year. Bill and Ted Face the Music has finished principal photography. This is kind of an exciting little passion project of Ed Solomon and... Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, which is really fun to see come together because Ed Solomon has been very active on social media. Not a ton of stuff recently because even as he's admitted, they've been very busy with wrapping stuff up. William Sadler's returning as Death, which I'm ex- extremely excited about. <laughs> uh, although it is very strange to see photos from Instagram and Twitter with Keanu Reeves beardless. It's very strange. He does not. He does not look correct. It's very odd having seen him bearded in John Wick eyes these last uh, few years and then to see him all young and fresh faced is very weird but yeah he oh, go ahead no I was just I was just gonna say he you know for a while he used to go the beard used to be his when he wasn't doing movies right oh yeah it's a like good he would point, go yeah. like, like speed obviously he didn't have and then you know the matrix and then but every time he was not shooting he always would had one out. That, yeah you absolutely know, the the beard, but uh, I guess he's he's been able to get in on movies that he's been able to keep it, and so now now he's had it for so long, and it's going to look very yeah. I I totally agree. And when I saw pictures of him post John Wick without the beard, it looks very strange. But I mean, I love the Bill and Ted movies, and certainly would have loved to have seen a third one. But I never like if we'd had this podcast years ago, I never would have thrown a third Bill and Ted movie in the wish list, for example. I never thought we necessarily needed one. It wrapped up very cleanly at the end. But then once once it started getting out there that Ed Solomon and the rest of the original creative team had an idea for a third one and it fell through and they couldn't get funding and all that, watching this build up from him just mentioning it to this large social media push from fans to... I mean, they almost kind of willed it into existence. I mean, you know, Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves posted an announcement on Twitter before filming started that it was happening and it was because of the fans and for the fans. And to see it build from just an idea, an idea that they had. I mean, it's almost the same thing that happened with Deadpool where Ryan Reynolds posted that test footage and then fans just 
with their enthusiasm and just kind of willed it into existence, an executive see that there's obviously a market for it. There's obviously passion for it. And to see it come together in this way was, was very exciting to know that they're done with principal photography and that they're moving towards a release date next summer is just, it's very exciting. I'm very excited to see how they did this and how open they were with their appreciation towards the fans and sharing casting news and photos from the set when they could. It's just, it's very, it's just a very, there's just so much positive energy and the way that this came about and what they're doing with it that I think it will really, especially with the idea that Bill and Ted save the universe, the planet, this, the whole world peace thing. I just, I think it's a really cool way for this to have happened and I'm excited that it's done. What did you think about what you've seen so far? I mean, it's not a ton, but you know. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, just some cast photos and stuff like that, like you said, from uh, from Ed Solomon's um, social media postings but yeah now that now that they've they've wrapped on shooting i gotta believe that there's there's teases and trailers coming soon and, and that that makes me very 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 excited i was just looking at the cast list here and down at the very bottom there's a name it says kelly carlin oh bill call uh, bill uh bill carlin george george carlin bill carlin <laughs> someone you have no idea famous bill carlin a famous bill carlin he's a mailman in my neighborhood does a hell of a job <laughs> george carlin's uh, daughter yeah excuse me it uh it doesn't say a character name or anything like that but that, that uh, that's awesome that they they got her in there yeah i'm excited to see how they utilize her as a tribute towards uh the late great george carlin rufus and yeah that's exciting i didn't really you know i'd heard rumors i didn't realize that they had actually gotten her cast and in there so that's very exciting to see that they've done that yeah well yeah if, if what i'm reading is is accurate that's you know that's really good news i'm, I'm <laughs> are, are you excited that maybe we will hear the actual song that saves the universe. <laughs> I don't know if that's, I'm ready. That's a lot to live up to. It is. That's that's tough. It's really one of those things where you have movies or books or any kind of media where they talk about the greatest novel ever written, the greatest song ever written, the great. And how do you qualify that? How do you actually show that? It's just ugh, that's a lot of pressure on them. Maybe they maybe they, <laughs> they'll play one chord and then and that's it. I mean, even at the end of be. Bogus Journey, they came back from the future and they played that song which just transitioned into the kiss song god gave rock and roll to you and it's just like well wait a minute are you just gonna use the kiss song <laughs> <laughs> right well maybe uh maybe kid cootie is the one that's kind of responsible for the, the music in this movie I've, I've seen a lot since he got cast and um i don't actually have an idea what his character is going to be i don't think the character even has a name or anything at this point but everything that i've seen from ed solomon and anyone else they they could not be praising him higher as far as what he has done being on set and, and whatever else he's involved in. So that's very interesting. Huh. I think he actually tweeted something out also, uh, Kid Cootie, actually, after they wrapped. And he, he was also very, very happy to be have been uh, involved in this. And now that it's uh, over, looking forward to everyone seeing what they've done. So hopefully they didn't screw up. <laughs> Don't mess this up, guys. Don't mess this up for us. <laughs> So as Justin and I were compiling this episode's In the Pipeline segment, we realized that a ton of the stuff we were going to mention, talk about, kind of falls under the Disney 
banner this episode. It's kind of a mini <laughs> Disney pipeline. They've got a lot going on. Disney Plus is launching November 12th. They've got a lot of... It's It's very interesting because now you kind of have to look at stuff they're releasing on a scale of, you know, is this showing up on Disney Plus? Is this showing up in theaters? Is it a combination of the two? I mean, they've got a ton of new series showing up on Disney Plus. A lot of movies, one of which, one of the trailers I watched, I had no idea it was even happening. And all of a sudden at the end, it said available on Disney Plus, whatever date it was. And so it's a full length feature film, but they're premiering it on Disney Plus. It's not ending up in theaters. And so it's kind of a weird little mini pipeline just for Disney. There's <laughs> a lot going on with them. Uh, one of the first things we were going to look at was not a ton more footage, not a ton more to see in regards to Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. They had a big deal announcement at D23 this year. They released a new teaser poster, which was just a gorgeous poster. The Emperor looming over Rey and Kylo Ren fighting. Uh, they had a new teaser, which, you know, J.J. Abrams came out and said, well, we don't have a trailer ready for you. We wish we did, but here's a teaser of that trailer. And it was kind of a buildup for all nine films, a lot of footage from older films, culminating in like, I don't know, seven seconds of new footage from The Rise of Skywalker, yeah. which was, even from that seven seconds, people are already losing their minds, talking about Dark Ray and crazy stuff from that. So I don't know, did you have, did you have any thoughts? That's, like I said, I don't, I'm still excited about Rise of Skywalker. The couple shots they showed were obviously simultaneously exciting and controversial because it got people talking. I mean, I, you know, from that little bit that you saw, there's anything anything you got from that or that you thought about that? Uh, I mean, I think it's very interesting. Like you said, the Dark Ray. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a very quick shot of, uh, you know, her face wearing a hood. And uh, and she she lights up a lightsaber and it's red, and it's also kind of janky, kind of like Kylo's, right? It's not perfectly straight. Yep. I can't remember uh, the reasoning behind that. Something about the crystals that he was using not quite pure or something like that. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, and so it looks like that, and then it's like a double bladed, and then in the wider shots, like flips it out like a switchblade almost, and into a double saber a la Darth Maul. So I don't know, is that a, you know, actually Ray? Is it vision of what possibly could happen if she goes to the dark side, stuff like that? So that's, you know, all sorts of questions that will be answered in uh, in December. <laughs> it, can, it almost seems like it's close, right? But Just far enough away. <laughs> just far enough away, exactly. <laughs> Star Wars has become the Christmas movie. That's it. Every Christmas. Yeah, and then, you know, so that, that could go so many ways. Uh and we get a little quick shot of C-3PO with red eyes, and everyone's kind of weirded out about that, too. Like, uh... Yeah, what's got my? I showed it to my oldest son, and the, the only thing he took away from him was, why does he have red eyes? I, I have no idea. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> so, yeah, but a lot, of, a lot of epic stuff. And then, and then you get a little scene of uh, her and Kylo fighting that's on the poster. Yep. There's a lot of... I've been reading... There's also a very quick shot of what looks like a very large uh, laser... Oh, yeah, like Blast blasting onto a planet, yeah. And so some people, I think it's ridiculous, well, I certainly hope it's ridiculous, are, are thinking that there's another Death Star. A fifth Again. Death Star? 
I suppose you can't put it past them, right? We've had multiple Death Stars, and then in the last movie, there was you know the Star Killer base, which was essentially a Death Star, basically, except a planet, an actual planet. Uh, <laughs> the Death Star is as large as a planet, but I, I don't think it is. There's also those shots of the Star Destroyers. Oh yeah, it's like twenty of them. <laughs> yeah, and and what they're saying, or you know what it is, is that those are Imperial ones. Those are not the First Order ones. Oh okay. And someone was pointing out that, and you know, everyone kind of blows up the pictures and then looks at them, you know, lightens them up to see if they can see any details. It looks like they've been modified that they have these, what people are saying are blasters, laser cannons at the front. Oh, so okay. I would assume it's that. I would assume it's not another Death Star. I, I would hope it's not another Death Star. <laughs> people are going to um, give him so much shit if it's another Death Star, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> That'll be the end of Star Wars fandom. Yep. But yeah, and the obvious. Return of the Emperor in, in some form. It'll, uh, it's going to be big, of course. It's going to be big. It's a Star Wars movie, but I don't know. I saw somewhere, it's, I, I don't know where they got this, like a dark Jar Jar Binks or something like that. I don't know where that rumor started. <laughs> There's like a picture of him and a hood and a lightsaber. I don't know. What's... People just want to upset everyone. That's the, the easiest <laughs> way to piss off Star Wars fans is to bring Jar Jar Binks up. So. Yeah. So what else? What else? What else? What else is happening with Disney? A lot going on with Disney. So much. A couple other trailers you'd mentioned. I actually didn't even know this was out. The Maleficent two trailer. I have not seen. Yeah, Maleficent one. So I went to. Uh, I have not seen the first one. I just wanted to, you know, mention it because obviously now they fall under our purview as a <laughs> as a sequel. There it is. I guess it's it was a prequel to reboot or yeah. Since I haven't seen it, I'm not sure exactly. Adaptation. I don't know. We're, we're running much, out of words. Uh, how much that. Or where that took off from the uh, the Sleeping Beauty uh, animated movie, but uh, yeah. So I I saw my wife and I saw The Lion King yesterday, and that was that was one of the trailers, and I just thought we would mention it in the show. Yeah, I have nothing else. It looks it looks dark, honestly. It's amazing. It kind of looks for something that came from their animated side of their stuff. I mean. And then I think about it, thinking back to Deep Sleeping Beauty. Well, I guess Maleficent was pretty, pretty freaking dark <laughs> for a Disney movie. <laughs> Eat this apple. Go to sleep forever. Right, and you know, so stop being pretty. Disney, Disney's been darkish for for a while. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff is darker than you think. And you go back, and even you know, you look at Little Mermaid. It's like, oh, it's a cute little. It's like, well, you know, that ship goes through the witch at the end and kills. Her. It's just there's a lot of. A lot of dark moments that people don't take into consideration. and I mean, like you said, it's, it looks dark. The trailer looks gorgeous. A lot of great effects. But I don't know. I guess the first one was successful enough that they moved into another one. But uh... Yeah. I mean, it looks like she's been caring for Aurora this whole time. And yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, who knows what happened. But uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, I saw Lion King and they killed Mufasa in like the first 30 minutes. So Disney, Disney, Disney is not, not above any of that. Very dark. But yeah, since I have no idea about the first movie, I can only speculate what's what's happening in the second one. But it is coming. And then another trailer that I saw, I've seen it, I don't know, it came out, I don't want to say a month ago, but it came out previously, but it popped up again yesterday, was the Mulan trailer. Yep. Did you get, have you seen that? I did watch it, yeah. I, I have not seen it on the big screen, so I just watched it on YouTube, but probably back when it was first in, announced that it was coming out it just it just seemed to get lost in the shuffle and, and a lot of the stuff that disney had going out with the live action remakes or whatever 
Yeah, well, Mulan, there's a couple other things that have happened in the news. The the lead actress, the main actress that's playing Mulan, has said something about the whole situation that's happening in Hong Kong with the protests and all that stuff. Oh, okay. And so there there was kind of a protest, uh, like a boycott Mulan thing happening on online for a while. So after that, I hadn't heard anything. But, uh, but as far as the movie in the trailer, it looks pretty good, honestly. It looks, the visuals look fantastic. What I've noticed is that and what I've kind of, I think I've read, is that they're doing something different in that they're, I don't think it's going to have any of the songs as far as singing. Okay. Like, you, you can kind of hear the melody in the trailers, but from what I've read, they're not actually going to do the singing and, and have it like that, like a traditional Disney animated movie, which I think is interesting. I don't think it's a bad way to go, honestly. Like, they're taking it... I actually think it's a good way. It'll be less comparisons in terms of... I don't know. What, what do you think? If if that's true, what do you think? It certainly gives more of a reason to do a live-action remake if you're going to do something a little bit different based on an existing plot than, you know, maybe every single film doesn't necessarily need characters singing songs to get the point across. I mean, it doesn't have to be a musical. I mean, even when they did... I mean, it's not recent now. It's 20 years old. But the version of Tarzan that came out, they had... Phil Collins doing all these songs and they just played in the background. They didn't, none of the characters That's actually true. sang. He just, he did all the songs for it. And I thought that thematically it still worked. And so I think they could do the same thing with Mulan, where if you have the, the music cues or the certain melodies that are featured in the original film, they can still tell the story and it's still something interesting to watch. It's just not necessarily a musical. Like the story of Mulan is still interesting without the songs. But like you said, they haven't, there's been no indication in the trailer. Like when they put the trailers out for Lion King, you at least saw pieces of some of the music numbers. Whereas in this, you know, or Beauty and the Beast or whatever, you saw these iconic scenes, these iconic music numbers. You, they haven't done that for Milan yet. Now, granted, this is still an early trailer, but you would think they'd put something in there that would tie into those songs that they were going to do it. So, I mean, you, you're, your assumption may be right. There may be a pretty good ch- chance they're just avoiding those altogether. And I think you you have a good point that 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 doing it so differently is probably a better reason to be doing these remakes rather than the what essentially turn out to be shot for shot remakes of the animated films with all the songs. You know, maybe they add a song here and there, like Lion King added a song, uh, you know, a new Beyonce song. But um, listen, you don't just leave Queen Bee out, Justin. You just don't. No, definitely not. <laughs> But but if you're just doing a remake, then really the only reason you're doing it is to you know make it look updated and to cash in on something that you've already made money off of 20 years ago. So yep. if they are doing something different with the songs for Mulan, I, uh, I'm on board with that in future changes to what they might do in the live action remakes. And this will, I guess this is this will be the real live action remake. Like literally, I don't think they're going to have Mushu the dragon. No, it doesn't look and like, stuff it. like that. So, so so no CG characters of even though the Lion King honestly looked fantastic, the Mulan seems to be a, a fully live action remake. Very cool, I think. And then rounding out the trailers we have from Disney, I just saw this the other day because I was racing to subscribe to Disney Plus for the discounted rate 
that they were oh, offering. Oh, you, you get that? Goddamn right I did. I, I was already going to do it, so I figured I may as well. <laughs> so while I was signing up for Disney+, Plus, I saw a trailer for Lady and the Tramp, a live-action remake along the lines of Lion King that I did not even know they were doing. But this one is a Disney Plus exclusive, and so I had no idea this was coming out, but I happened to see the trailer for it. I mean, kind of the opposite of Mulan. This The trailer itself just kind of goes through and hits all the beats of well-known scenes from the original, landing, of course, at the famous scene at the table where they're eating the pasta. Yeah, I don't see the point in the Lady and the Tramp remake. That's... <laughs> At least from the trailers, doesn't necessarily look to be offering anything new or any big reason for existing. I mean, I don't know. like I said, it looked. I mean, the trailer looked great. It's everything you'd expect, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What I mean, did you did you see it? Did you know about this? What did you think about it? I did. I did see it last night. I did not know, like you, that they were actually making this this live action remake. But yeah, and, and especially. You know, this, not the surprise at the end, but the fact that they're, you know, they show up at the end of the trailer that it's going to be a Disney Plus streaming exclusive, yeah. not in theaters. It's it's almost like Disney is saying, yeah, we kind of, we wanted to do this, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to remake all of our stuff, but this one we're not so sure about, so we're not going to push it out to theaters worldwide. <laughs> I have no real feeling about this this one at all, except that I will, I have no interest in it. I, I did see someone tweet something about it, and it may just be coincidence, but it, it seems to make a little bit of a point as well. It was like, even though this is an animation, a cartoon about dogs, still the female looks younger than the male dog. <laughs> like, significantly. Like, it's a dog that's, you know, the tramp, and he's kind of got, like, gray fur Yeah, his face. that's a good point. <laughs> it's yeah. like this young-looking Cocker Spaniel uh, female dog. I was like, well, somehow even an animated dog film manages to support like ageism and sexism between. <laughs> so of course the hot twenty-two-year-old wants to get with the beat-up forty-year-old guy. Of course, of course. That's been living on the streets. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's funny. We were talking about Disney Plus, and actually, I was wanting to get your take on this. the The announcement of Disney Plus, obviously, they want to make a really big splash. They're really, they're really just going for Netflix. They're going after Netflix. They're going after Amazon prime. And in addition to these actual trailers that are existing, they've announced a reboot for home alone. They've announced a reboot for night at the museum. They've announced a reboot for diary of a wimpy kid, which I thought they were still making movies of. Didn't realize they were rebooting. And they just quickly released a photo of Emma Stone as a young Cruella DeVille from a film they're doing called Cruella, I think, or Cruella DeVille, I can't remember. It's just, it's her name. It's either just the first <laughs> name or both. And like, what what's your take on the fact that, like, I, I know reboots are the thing. I know sequels are the thing. I know that our whole thing are reboot sequels and, and that sort of thing. But, I mean, do you think we're actually getting close to reboot, sequel, remake fatigue? Like, do you think they're relying too much on that? Like, I think it's so strange that they they announce all of this stuff. I mean, some of them are are new and exciting. You've got the Mandalorian TV series, which is exciting, but again, it's a spinoff from Star Wars. You've got all these different remakes they have. They've they're announcing some of which are going to premiere directly on Disney Plus. A lot of which, I mean, the Marvel TV series again, spinoffs of Marvel movies and characters and stuff. I mean, do you think that they're relying too much? 
on I mean they're they're saying quote unquote original content, but a lot of it is remakes, sequels, and spin-offs of existing properties that again they look very exciting. People are gonna want to watch them. I want to watch some of them, but I mean, do you think it's they're leaning too hard on that? Yeah, I mean the short answer is is yes. Um obviously, like you said, they're trying to get people in at the, uh, you know on the ground floor when they launch this thing and you know take it to Netflix and uh, and all the others but and so they're relying on all these things that you know everybody knows already everyone you know they assume loves already um I actually didn't know about the night at the museum one that they're I guess this is all no real details right that they're rebooting, uh, just, literally just it, announcements know, they, yeah it was just like you know they all came out in the same press release it was just here's a bunch of stuff we're rebooting that's it. Yeah. But I, I, after the Home Alone news, I saw that Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin like, tweeted out a picture of like him on his couch, like all dirty and you know eating a pizza or something like that, like <laughs> Home Alone right now. Um, He's got a pretty good sense of humor about the whole thing. I think so. And yeah, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, I I know nothing about, but I also thought that those were movies that are currently Yeah, I thought they were actively releasing them, yeah. Uh, I think for me, there's a distinction like, like the Marvel TV shows that they're doing. I think that those are, I, I guess we can just say spinoffs, right? So that's, yeah. that's something that's from something that we know and characters that we know, but they're doing something slightly different from it, um, with it. If they're just going to like do reboot a Home Alone movie with new actors and the same characters or a Night at the Museum, same thing, that is um, something that I can see that I would agree that would be too much, you know, if they just, and like you said, they also have lots of actual original content, but they're all, they also, I think they, what is it? Uh, Hillary Duff, whatever show she was on, I think they announced that she's coming back to redo or another one. Oh yeah. Yeah. What? Uh, yeah. I can't, I can't not remember what show she was on, but. Yeah, I, I want totally to say Hillary remember. Duff saves it all, but that's not even remotely the name of that show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that'll be the reboot. Uh, but, uh, God, now I want to know what it was. <laughs> Hillary Duff saves. Oh, Lizzie McGuire. Yeah. Okay. I knew. I I, I I knew it wasn't Hannah Montana, but that was also the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> I'll redo that too. Yeah. Well, that was Disney too, right? Yeah. How, what are the, what is the percent that they would bring Miley Cyrus back to do anything? Oh my god! <laughs> Although I I would be kind of fascinated to see like a crazy punk, uh, loose cannon Miley Cyrus doing Hannah Montana now. I would I'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> but yeah, I can live with some of it. But the the full on like remakes, I guess. Uh, right, yeah, I don't know. It'll it'll eventually get too much. That's a fair but, point. I mean, you, you do make a good point that the spinoffs are one thing versus just saying, hey, let's look at our last successful 10 animated features and make live action remakes of them. I mean, you, you've asked, you hit the nail on the head. It's definitely two different worlds. And so, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, some of the best things on TV were spinoffs from sometimes a main character, sometimes not even a main character, like Frasier, you know, from Cheers went on to be an excellent show and Mork and Mindy was actually a spinoff from like one episode that uh, Robin Williams did on uh, uh, Happy Days that's right Happy Days exactly (laughs) so you know stuff like that works and then you know 
Others, not so much. Although I will say, you know, I just thought of this. I was going back and listening to our wish list items, and I realized for the first time one of our wish list items came true in that they announced also Ewan McGregor is doing an Obi Wan spin off series on Disney Plus. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say you almost got your wish. You close. Got, you didn't I wanted get a, a movie, movie, but they got to get a series, which is the next best thing. I'm, you know, here I am digging on all their spinoffs and rings, But if, as soon as I saw news on this, especially the way they did it, he came out and Kathleen Kennedy was on stage, and you know she pulled the old Steve Jobs. Oh, we have one more thing for you, and of course they bring him out, and people are going nuts. And he says, I mean, his delivery was spectacular. Just him saying, you know, for years everyone's been asking me. Are you doing this? And I have had to kind of defer and say, oh, well, you know, we're in talks. You know, we're thinking about writing it. And he's like, Kathleen, can you ask me one final time the question everyone's been asking me? And she looks at him and says, Ewan, are you going to be playing Obi-Wan Kenobi again? And he just looks at the audience, perfect timing, and just goes, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> and people just go nuts. And sure enough, I mean, like, and not like just an announcement, but they've scripted the entire thing and they're going to start production next year. And so sort of like a tangential wish list item <laughs> come true kind of thing. It's the closest thing we've had. So it's close. And so that's, I mean, it's not really our forte. It's not movies, but I had to at least get that in there. That I was very excited about the way they did that announcement and the fact that it's happening. Cause I, I thought he was one of the most successful, well-realized parts of that prequel trilogy. And so I'm, I'm ready to watch him play. Obi-Wan Kenobi for as many episodes as they shove down my throat, for sure. <laughs> uh, did you see that? What did you think about that? I, I didn't. I didn't see the announcement, but I did. I did, you know, read about it here. Uh, you know, that that was happening, and I, I, I thought the same thing as you when you. I, I remember that you did. I, that's one of the ones I remember that you wanted a, a Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan Kenobi spinoff re- movie in the in the wish list. So. I was like, oh, he almost, he almost <laughs> so got close. 100% of what so he wanted. Close. Except it's going to be, a t- I had to double check to see if it was going to be a TV series or not. I did read a little bit more about it. That it's going to take place timeline-wise around the same time as uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Oh, okay, see, I didn't even see that. I was just yeah. excited about the announcement. <laughs> yeah. well, I have nothing substantive, recent, it's just all emotion. The most recent news about that. Fun fact, our least popular episode, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's, it seems to be our, our episode of popularity seems to trend with the popularity of what we're covering, so that kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, it'd be very cool to see you in, and I, I agree with you, one of the best things to come out of the prequel trilogy uh, was his casting and his portrayal of, uh, of Obi-Wan. So it it'll be it'll be good. How old? I guess during the so, the events of Solo is uh, I don't know. Let's say five to ten years before A New Hope. Yeah. So he'll uh, does he look that old? Yeah, I don't know. It'll, he's it'll 50. be fifty. I mean, he's always forty eight. He's almost fifty. So you know. That's true. But uh, but yeah, it'll be cool to find out what Obi's been doing, <laughs> keeping tabs on on Luke. That's it. The whole show is just him creeping on Luke behind rocks and stuff. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's just the whole show is him looking around rock going, well, there he is. <laughs> there Soon. he is again. 
soon. God, that's even that's my impression's even worse than my Nicolas Cage. <laughs> you gonna be the next Iron Man now? Well, no, I don't have time. I'm too busy doing your jobs. What? Oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, keep up the good work because I am going on vacation. Heads up, Nick Fury's calling you. I don't really want to talk to Nick Answer Fury. The phone. Why? Because if you don't talk to him, then I have to talk to him. I don't want to talk to him. You sent Nick Fury to voicemail? I gotta go. You do not ghost Nick Fury. What up, dorks? What's up? We're just talking about the trip. I'm here in St. Marco Polo's. Oh, I think MJ really likes me. That reminds me when I first fell in love. You're a very difficult person to contact, Spider-Man. This is Mr. Beck. We could use someone like you on my world. New world? Beck is from Earth, just not ours. The snap to our hole in our dimension. Okay, and that'll bring us to our main event for today's show. Tom Holland's run as Spider-Man, with a bit of a focus on his most recent adventure in Far From Home. I guess essentially they said that this was technically the end of phase four right and the you know what what are they calling it now the infinity saga yeah, all, right. these, all these phases <laughs> these kids in their phases yeah i don't know that i like that i think it was i think they really should have just had it end with endgame in terms of pieces of the mcu yeah, it um, does seem kind of strange they have this massive epic movie and they're like oh wait we've got this little footnote here that is actually the end of the infinity saga it's very strange but even though I, I have some issues with it, it's still an excellent movie. I, I think personally, I preferred uh, Homecoming a little bit better. Okay, but uh, and you know we'll we'll discuss it. But what do you think? I think it's it's probably official now that Tom Holland is the best on screen Spider Man, right? Like, there's no question. I feel pretty good about saying that. I think that he finds a lot of balance that neither Tobey Maguire or from what I've seen, I still haven't seen Garfield's movies, but you're going to drag me kicking and screaming into watching those movies. Yeah. I think the, I think that he's got a very good balance. I think that he meshes really well with the MCU in general and the characters in the MCU, like, you know, just his relationship with Tony. I think his relationship with everyone in Endgame. I mean, he's only in Endgame for, you know, <laughs> the last like five minutes and just just that sense of excitement and wonder and awkwardness but yet just enough of a smart ass not quite as much as you seem to see from garfield yeah i I feel pretty confident saying you know he's my favorite spider-man cinematically for sure and then i think i just think objective i think there's a lot of stuff that he does better than other incarnate and you know and i i went into him being cast mcguire was was my favorite i really liked what he brought to the character, I really liked what he did with it. <laughs> Even the goth dancing Tobey Maguire, I got a kick out of <laughs> Peter Parker there. But I, you know, and I, I like this way for you know, I, I do kind of agree with you. I did think that Spider-Man: Homecoming was a little bit more successful with what it was trying to do, but at the same time, I feel like it kind of leaned a little too much on having Tony Stark be in it as much like even the posters had Iron Man flying around in the posters and I think it really kind of relied on that connection more than Far From Home did I feel like Far From Home even though Tony's death and everything that happened in Endgame was kind of a shadow over it I think that he kind of 
struck out on his own a little bit more and far from home and it felt more like a Spider-Man movie and less like one of those solo movies that are kind of masquerading as a as an Avengers movie, you know what I mean? You know, like okay. like Captain America Civil War felt like another Avengers film just because there were so many other characters in it. Yeah. And I and I sort of felt that way about Homecoming even though I I do feel like Homecoming was a more solidly realized film than Far From Home was. Far From Home had a lot of really great humor had a lot of really great heart, a lot of great action sequences, but it was definitely a little clunkier and choppier in how they realized it. One thing I was going to ask you, so this is interesting, so I was going to ask you about your thoughts on the twist that Mysterio wasn't from another dimension. Like yeah. the idea that, you know, I think Marvel was actually kind of ballsy in what they did because if you think back to Iron Man 3, they got a lot of flack for the fact that Ben Kingsley wasn't the real Mandarin. Yeah. You know, he was just, he was just an actor. Play. This is actually one of the few Marvel movies I haven't seen. And so I, I don't know the exact, but I mean, obviously I read about it that he's not the actual character. He's this actor portraying the Mandarin. And then here you have kind of a similar situation where instead of Mysterio actually being from another dimension, him actually having magical powers, he's just a disgruntled ex employee of Tony Stark who builds up this whole thing. And, 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 and somehow I think it worked. It still made sense. The way that they executed it, I think, was good. But what did, what did you think about the fact that it was just kind of a, a complete 180 from what they'd indicated in the trailers and stuff as to what he was going to be? It's in line with that character, Mysterio, Quentin Beck's, what he would do, right? I think I mentioned this to you before. The character is, you know... A liar. I mean, <laughs> he tricks people into thinking, you know, in this movie, all this, all the bad stuff that's happening is his doing, so that he can, you know, save the day, yeah, and uh, and become a hero in the public's eye. But the the being from the you know different universe in the multiverse angle, yeah. I mean, they still could have had him from a multiverse and you know stuff like this from a different dimension. And still worked the same way. I think I don't. I don't know. It was. It was. I, I honestly hadn't even thought about it until you just mentioned that. But do they? They don't really. Other than the fact that he says he's from a different dimension, and they, you know, they find out that he's not. It's not really like integral. I, I don't. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No. I, th I think you're right. It just it was. It was just one of the thoughts. I mean, I, like I said, I think that it. They pulled it off well, and you know, to your point it stays consistent with the character that he works on deception and his whole shtick is creating a false reality around people and stuff like that. And, and, and it does stay consistent, but it's just, I, I just thought it was interesting that they would go that route seeing as how they had so much backlash with a similar plot direction in the earlier film. Yeah, I was just I was just curious your thoughts on it, just because it was one of the first things I as soon as I found out the twist, like and again, I I thought it was successfully executed and well done, but you know, and, and it all made sense within that universe. The technology made sense. It made sense that it called back to consistent plot points with Tony having that holographic technology and that situation made sense. But I was just yeah, I was just curious to see what you thought about the fact that they you know, he didn't have any magical powers necessarily. The only "quote unquote" magic he had was these illusions he created that were 
still real threats, still high stakes, but not necessarily the multiverse magic sort of thing. I'm just, I'm just curious. Yeah, I think they probably just wanted to at least allude to it because they kind of they get into it in Doctor Strange, and of course they talk more about it in uh, the Infinity War movies about you know changing the timeline and jumping and uh, affecting the other you know different realities in the in the MCU. So I'm sure that was in their minds. They wanted to just kind of keep 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 the audience audience's mind on that, so that you know we're we're going there in in future films for real, sort of thing in the future. But yeah, I mean, individually, the you know the Spider-Man MCU movies are both excellent. My my biggest thing about them is not that they're poorly done with the integration with you know Tony Stark into Spider-Man's life and being such. Um, an influence on it but the fact that they lean on it again right like you know in the first one you know michael keaton's vulture is working angry at tony and you know people like that and eventually start wants to steal tony's tech and that's the you know the ultimate climax scene at the end and then again now in far from home we get quentin beck is just another former employee of tony's and also employing Another former employee of Stark Industries with the, oh, I forget the character's name, but he's, you know, the, the bald scientist yep, that yeah. Jeff Bridges is yelling at in the first one. He built this in the <laughs> cave with a bunch of scraps. That's the guy he's yelling at. Yeah. And so he's back again and all these, you know, I mean, the, t- Tony is responsible for, and then, you know, Ultron is essentially Tony's doing and it goes bad. Um would we be better off without Tony Stark? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know. <laughs> no, and, and you, I mean, that, that's actually, that's a very good point that as much as I love the integration of these movies, as much as I love the fact that they all connect and they built this whole universe, you do kind of feel like you lose a little bit of that solo element. I mean, you go back and you watch the first Iron Man movie yes, it was the first piece in this larger puzzle. Yes, it was the first introduction. And as the movies continued from there to Thor to even as far as Captain Marvel and more recently they became more and more integrated you know but certain movies did a better job of also being a solo film like certain movies were still able to connect the larger MCU but still succeeded as their own solo picture which I and I think you're right I don't think that these Spider-Man films were as disconnected and stood on their own. I, mean, I, I think that part of that may be the fact that, you know, for years, Marvel didn't have them. Marvel didn't have an opportunity to utilize them, and they they figured this was a limited-time deal, which, I mean, we could talk about that in a second. This is actually kind of a timely episode, considering the news of the difficulty with talks between Sony and Marvel. But, you know, the fact that they knew they only had him as a character starting with Civil War and then wrapping up with Far From Home, you know, maybe they wanted to integrate him as much as they could just because they knew that they wouldn't have an opportunity to, or maybe they were worried about the the comparison between the earlier Spider-Man films that had absolutely no connection to the MCU just because they legally couldn't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really sure how we ended up with the, the heavy connection, especially like you said to Tony Stark and, and then, yeah, you look back at it sometimes, and Tony Stark is a massive hero, but um, you do look back at some of this, and you're like, huh. <laughs> you know, and I think, I guess, to, his cre- to their credit, that was part of 
Tony's whole thing is that he's an imperfect hero and he's got his failings and they didn't even really dip into his womanizing and alcoholism as much in the movies as the comics looked at over the years. But yeah, no, it's a very good point. I don't know. I don't know if the world would have been better off without Tony Stark. <laughs> Ultimately, I don't think so because he saved the universe. But yeah, you know what I mean. I, yeah. I agree with you. The, the 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 universe in the MCU would not have been better off. Uh, uh, per, perhaps might have been better off, but we as the movie watching public, correct? Are, yes, are definitely no, no. He was he was. I mean, I'm as satisfied as I was with his character arc, and as as much as I realized they had to do what they had to do at the end of Endgame. Like I am, I you do feel that loss. I'm I'm definitely going to feel that loss going forward. People talk about the idea of. Robert Downey Jr. showing up as like a hologram. Like I hope they don't do any of that. Like I hope he's just dead, because it just it's just it was such a satisfying closure that I would hate for them to kind of dip back into it because that's what's familiar and that's what's easy. And see, look what we're doing. See that they they've done that. To, they've done this to us. We're now turning a podcast episode about Spider Man <laughs> into the Tony <laughs> to the Tony Stark show. It's that's what they do. Right. It, it's I mean it's hard to you know extract them from each other and that's you know kind of the broader point that i like to make that you know it's it's a little bit too much of tony and in terms of they decided to go that way not in terms of the quality of the products you know of the movies yeah yeah both very good and and one other non-tony nitpick (laughs) that i have so in in the first one in homecoming and the character's name totally escapes me so the michael keaton's daughter that Peter takes their prom, yep. or you know, takes their prom and then leaves. But so he's you know he's kind of all in on her in that movie, and we don't really see. I mean, he interacts with MJ, with Zendaya's character, but we don't really see like a like between those two. Certainly from from Peter's side, and unless I'm missing something, now all of a sudden in Far From Home, he's like you know. He's he's all in. He's moved on entirely, and we haven't seen any interaction between them, the two of them. You know, obviously we don't because events. Well, I don't know. We had there, there was the five year blip, right? So there couldn't have been any interaction. So True, yeah. Um, all of a sudden he's he's really into MJ and wants to you know uh, tell her you know how much he lo- he likes her and all that stuff. It's uh, that that struck me a little bit as something that we didn't get a lead up to that's a good point yeah i mean there was no real resolution to the end of that one relationship and the transition to his infatuation with this one that's that's a, that's a very good point yeah it almost kind of feels like they felt like they had to hit this plot point and so they just did it without really earning that transition to her that makes sense yeah yeah that's a legit nitpick i could see that yeah, I wonder whatever happened to her. Oh, as far as that, no. But I mean, at at the end of you know homecoming, she's she's leaving with the mother, leaving town because obviously, yeah, Vulture, her dad is you know, <laughs> awaiting trial or whatever. And, yeah, and we still have in the MCU. I mean, Michael Keaton's character is still alive, just in jail somewhere. So that's uh, it's true. Always something they could call back on in future. Oh, I guess we gotta in future Spidey movies. So should we? T- <laughs> Yeah, I guess I mean I guess that that does that does beg the question that does kind of lead us into you know naturally what's going on right now with talks. It's 
it kind of blew up a couple of weeks before we started recording this that talks broke down and people really freaked out about the fact that Sony thinks that Marvel slash Disney asked for too much in regards to profit sharing with the films going forward and they walked away from talks and at the time we first heard about it it was just that was that was it there was no more spidey in the MCU uh, Tom Holland would likely continue to play the character but just in standalone films for Sony and that was it now granted if this is how this does wrap up between the two companies I'm I'm kind of happy that Marvel was at least able to finish their arc like it's it still sucks that they you know they kind of ended far from home on this massive cliffhanger of everyone finding out what happened between Spider-Man and Mysterio and him getting framed and all this stuff. And, you know, it's, I'm kind of glad they were able to sew that part of it up, but then going forward, it's kind of a bummer that they don't get to, (laughs) you know, realize anything beyond that. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in recent days, it sounds like it's not completely a dead deal, but what are your thoughts on the, uh, kerfuffle <laughs> <laughs> well yeah like you said originally it was it sounded like Tony uh, Tony <laughs> See, can't get away he's from everywhere it. like uh, <laughs> that Sony just kind of walked away from the table um, because they weren't happy with what Disney was you know uh, trying to get out of the, the partnership and then you know later it kind of came out that well they were they're still negotiating and you know, neither side is you know, on board yet, but you know, it's not all one-sided, lopsided. You, you would think that Disney kind of has all the, most of the leverage um, because, you know, Sony essentially, you know, they made two, was it two or three or whatever, uh, amazing Spider-Man movies, um, but essentially failed in terms of keeping that going. And then now they have, Spider-Man in the MCU, they're sharing, you know, I guess sharing the uh, the creativity and the, the you know, behind-the-scenes stuff of making these movies, and now these two Spider-Man movies, and at least and especially the recent one, you know, Far From Home, is like Sony's biggest, I think maybe even their biggest movie ever. It's another billion-dollar movie worldwide. Um, you would think that they would at least both want to continue this relationship and keep printing <laughs> printing cash at the box office <laughs> but Sony's feeling a little bit like maybe they're getting not enough respect and there's all this, this stuff about maybe Kevin Feige or I'm sure Sony is releasing all this Feige was helping quote unquote with Venom as well and there apparently there was a, sh- a scene that Tom Holland actually shot as a cameo for Venom that I can uh, that Disney said that they told them not to use for the movie Literally. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. Or something like that. But I think at, during the current contracts, like Disney is only getting like 5% or something like that. Yeah, it's from, like 5 or 10, Sony yeah. Movies. Um, yeah, I think part so... of the issue is that they wanted to bump it up to 50-50, which is, I mean, it's, I mean, at, at the same token, I feel like it's earned. I mean, if they're doing half the work and if people are connecting with the way that they're utilizing Spider-Man and putting out Spider-Man movies with Sony, you'd feel like 50-50 is a reasonable offer, but for them to go from 5 or 10% to 50% is, you know, as, as much as I'm on the side of Marvel, at the same token, it's like, that's, that's just, I mean, what, 800% yeah. increase in, <laughs> in profit sharing, so it's, you know, and at the end of the day, it's... I can see why they wouldn't. Yeah, it's, 
it's a business at the end of the day and it's it sucks for the fans because we're the ones that end up with you know the stress of wondering if there's going to be subpar Spider-Man movies after this if Tom Holland's even going to still be playing the character he's come out and said that he will be but you know it's just it's such a complicated thing i mean just just the intricacies involved in getting the character into the MCU and putting the companies together when this first happened is uh you know, it was amazing that it first happened and to see it kind of break down mm. like this is a shame and you know not entirely unexpected but still kind of a bummer that they couldn't work it out yeah because who knows what uh what'll happen hopefully they work it out if they don't you know will, will that ruin my my hope for a spider-verse life action? <laughs> <laughs> you're never getting your wish list fulfilled pal it is it's kind of crazy that you know all these marvel characters over the past however many decades, all the rights for these characters were split up amongst all these different... There are even, like, individual ones. Like, some companies have the rights to, like, one or two characters. And yeah. So that just makes... Making us all as happy as we should be watching these <laughs> movies under the same, uh, you know, crossovers and stuff like that. Yeah, it's... That's bizarre. No, I think you're right. It's tricky. And who would have thought? Like, who would have thought that it, you'd have anything like this with the MCU? Nobody a million years... Nobody in a million years would have thought that these I mean at the time seemingly random assortment of characters I mean we think of Iron Man as being the foundation for the MCU but at the time he was kind of an ancillary character he was never somebody you'd think of as propping up an entire you know 22 film 10 year long franchise it's just you know but but yeah I mean and and, you know going back to the the most recent Spider-Man movie you know the there's just such a consistent feel like there's just something like I really wish I could put my finger on I mean obviously the writing is good obviously the effects are good obviously the casting is well done you know we mentioned Tom Holland being our favorite cinematic Spider-Man but I mean they don't give short shrift to anybody background characters that have one or two lines I mean even the chaperones the, the teacher chaperones on Peter's trip were hilarious like they had just the right amount of put upon teachers stuck on this European trip with these kids and I think both actors I've seen in tons of other stuff before and so it's you know they you know there's obviously things you can qualify and say here are the reasons these movies are successful here are the reasons the vibe is right but there's also just this unspeakable thing that even the quote-unquote weaker Marvel movies they still have this kind and it sounds corny to say it but they still have this kind of weird magic about them there's this weird thing that even weaker Marvel movies still have this you know this I don't know if it's just denial that fans have that so many good movies you go into stuff knowing it's going to be good or hoping it's going to be good because of their track record or if there's just legit something there that you can't really put your finger on that I think this movie does really well and I think this movie had the same unenviable position that Ant-Man did where it's kind of a lighter film it's just kind of a different feeling from the film that preceded because Ant-Man came right after Infinity War, just like this came right after Endgame, and yet it still somehow manages to succeed in carrying that lightness forward and still having the darkness, still having the mourning of Tony Stark and the seriousness and the action set pieces, but it's just somehow they pull it off. Like, I don't I don't know how they do it, but it's... Yeah, I mean, it's it's really... 
it'll it'll be very interesting to see if they don't manage to pull this deal back together and Sony does release the next Spider-Man film on their own, how much of that they can retain based on who's writing, who's directing, and you know if Tom Holland still stays in the role like he said that he would. Yeah, Marvel has had this real knack for balancing how they are putting these movies out, right? Like you said, you know, we get the Ant-Man after Infinity War and now Far From Home after Endgame. It's like, you know, they take you to this, you know, ridiculous, you know, cliffhangers and highs and big, huge, like, total event movies. And then they still have to kind of bring some of that, but they also have to bring like a break, right? Like it's like, you know, they're a palate cleanser, if you are something. Exactly, yeah, that's a very good way to put it. It's got to be different, but still high stakes in its own world. And, you know, not as, it's it's like giving you a a little bit of a rest after uh, like a marathon, but still at a, you know, a brisk jog or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) And just to kind of, you know, go back to, you were talking about, go back to far from home and the uh supporting characters of you know mj and uh ned ned right the uh his friend so happy ned's back i love ned <laughs> still still it's it's odd to me that the fury had to trank him um with like a dart with like you know they they have all this technology available to them and it's still like a trank dart. <laughs> that's a good point but those were some fun those are some good moments too when finally mj has figured out that peter is spider-man and ned is kind of like uh, a little bit jealous like he's not he's yeah. not the only guy that knows the secret um i think their interaction like is that. very good um, the, the casting and the chemistry between ned and peter is really natural like it's really well done and you really feel like they're friends even when you know ned ends up with his girlfriend and there's all that kind of stuff like uh, <laughs> There's just such a great balance of the the high school angst that they have and just the stuff that they have to go through and it's it's a lot of fun the way they do that because at the same time Peter's trying to battle an elemental <laughs> in the middle of this crazy chaotic action sequence he's also trying to do you know live the life of a high school student with this, the problems that a high school student has and it just feels very natural and it feels very well done you know, and again, whether you know whether that's a combination of the writing, whether that's a combination of that weird Marvel magic touch, or the, you know the casting of the two of them together. I mean, you, you have to give the kid who plays Ned a lot of credit because he does he does just sync right up with Tom Holland in a way that you would not necessarily expect secondary characters like that. I mean, they made him enough of a main character that it makes sense. But like, I mean, even even you know small side characters like the kid who plays Flash and stuff like that. Like, there's just you know, they brought him into it in kind of a unique way and, and there's still there's different high stakes, but it's like if you're a high school student watching this and again I've been a high school student forever, but like I can <laughs> think back to when I would watch movies like that and to high school students that kind of stuff is high stakes. Like, you know, they don't think about the fact that they've got to battle huge, crazy bad guys somewhere. You know, they think about the stakes between friends and girls and going on this trip and trying to say and do the right thing with this bauble that he bought for MJ. It's just, there's so much, yeah. so much of that is just, is just really well done in a way that 
feels natural and, and elevates the movie more than just your typical action movie, which is, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought Ned up because I love Ned. I think he's, you know, <laughs> he, he could just be a throwaway like comic relief, but he really does end up being a very big part of what I think makes the film succeed on that level. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and what the the MCU Spider, you know, Tom Holland Spider Man's have have done, you, you you hit it. What I always say is, um, they balance the fact that you know, yes, Spidey Peter is you know a superhero and is incredibly strong and incredibly smart and you know and does have to fight Thanos and uh, and stuff like that, but he's still you know he's still a kid, he's still a high school kid, and something that they skip over a little bit in the Sam Raimi ones like he's in high school in the first movie and then he's he's they've already graduated yeah, by the end of the first movie or something and then uh, you know the uh, the amazing Spider-Man's uh, I think he they're in high school the whole time but you never really I mean he he just played Peter as more of a dick than I I liked yeah so I remember you saying really that get, we talked about it yeah it never really feels like the stakes this like almost the stakes are too high and like you said now the stakes are high, but also to each individual high schooler, the stakes of other things are also as important, more important than, you know, how kids react to things, you know, stupidly. Like, like you said, he has, Ned gets a girlfriend on the flight over and it's over by the flight back <laughs> at the end of it. So stuff like that is, you know, like that stuff happens. Uh, you know, like happens. That's absolutely, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In the, in high school. So all, all those little things interspersed with the amazing, you know, effects and big, uh, big action set pieces that Spider-Man goes through is, uh, is good. And they give all those supporting characters actual, like, you know, agency, right? They're actually involved and they actually participate in the events and they're not just, you know, running around or being saved by Spider-Man. Well, that's and that's actually a good point because that then elevates the stakes of this, you know, all the attacks that happen because it's not just a character that pops out of nowhere and you know nothing about you've gotten to know him throughout the course of the movie and they've done such a great job developing him that you actually give a shit when they're running around and th- you know they're being put into danger it's not just some random side character that they cast just so they'd run around and you're supposed to feel <laughs> worried about them because oh it's a human you should be-. like you actually have developed this relationship with them and they're real people instead of just some cardboard cutout person that they cast just so that you're supposed to feel bad or worried about them because that's what you do when people are running scared from a monster destroying a part of a city like you they've done such a great job of like you said you know you hit the nail on the head the the balance of it and the, i feel like the stakes end up being higher because they've done their work in making these well-rounded characters and have built those relationships so that interactions between Peter and bullies or Peter and these girls or Peter and his friends feel like they've got the same stakes as these giant battle scenes and they both feed into one another because you know the his life as Spider-Man affects his relationship with his friends and family and conversely the relationship with his friends and family have a big a large it'd be interesting to look and see how often he was actually dressed as spider-man in this movie because i feel like he <laughs> there was so much going on but by the end of it i was thinking you know he had the whole uh what was the monkey that what, what they call him oh the, the night, night monkey, monkey. <laughs> so he's got yeah. the night monkey costume he you know several points he was just battling the elementals like as peter parker just swinging around without 
having any kind of costume whatsoever. So it'd be interesting to see how often he actually wore the costume in this two and a half hour movie. So <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I think I think a lot of like in Homecoming, he's. I mean, obviously, he's. They're all still in high school, so they're all still high schoolers. But in Homecoming, he's learning to become Spider-Man, like the hero. So he's worthy of getting the suit back, right, from Tony, yeah, and kind of auditioning so that Tony knows that he's he's capable to be an Avenger. Um, and in this one, he's like, you know, he's he's embraced Spider-Man hundred percent, but he's learning to be himself with spider-man right so okay yeah yeah so he's he's balancing it i guess uh or still in the process of doing so and i guess now that everyone that's close to him knows that he's spider-man maybe he can he can he can get along better that way which is why also with the you know tony's death affects you know everybody but affects him so much and why he ultimately gives the glasses what is it edith to yeah Quentin Beck, which starts off the whole uh, the whole shebang, <laughs> all the bad stuff. Because if you're a fully realized adult, you wouldn't have just you know Tony Stark gave those to him. Why would he? But he's still a kid, so he thinks he's not worthy himself to handle it, and so he gives it off. And you know, eventually they figure that out, and he has to go get it back. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I slightly prefer Homecoming better, but Far From Home certainly. Not far behind. <laughs> Not far from home itself. <laughs> you didn't want to do it, but you had to. So I guess a good place to wrap up at the end of our talk about Spider-Man would logically be the end. Marvel is well known for their mid-credit, end-credit sequences, even though they didn't have one in Endgame, because that was kind of the end of a massive chapter for their films. Almost every other movie had some kind of game-changing or fun, just kind of throwaway scene in the middle and in the end. And this has two very significant game-changing moments (laughs) for their end-credit sequences. Um, Yeah, so it turns out, spoiler alert, Nick Fury throughout the course of this film, and who knows how long, people have debated as to how long he's been one. He's apparently a Skrull. And we find that out at the end. That are, did, you say, did you say Maria Hill was also? Yeah, both of yeah, them. Right. So I, I think, I think those Skrulls end up being the, 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 the husband and wife Skrulls from, uh, yeah, that's right. okay, from Captain okay. Marvel, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so that's kind of a huge game-changing thing. And, and for a second, when I first read about it, because I, I had it spoiled for me, I read about it, before I saw the movie, but then when I first read about it, I thought that something had happened to Nick Fury, like they'd killed off the character or something, but then it turns out he's just chilling out in outer space, overseeing this massive intergalactic plan, something going on out there. I don't even know really what's happening out there. Yeah, it, you know, it almost looked like they were, you know, he was overlooking like a hangar with all sorts of you know equipment and and maybe not weapons but you know vehicles and stuff i assume weapons as well but yeah <laughs> relaxing in whatever little like what looked like to be some sort of sunroom <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh but yeah we don't wouldn't it be crazy if he had been up there ever since the events of captain marvel <laughs> that was it just like the whole so time. through all the mcu it's always been uh talos i believe the name of the scroll yep. yeah it certainly does open up the possibility of more of an intertwining between 
outer space and Earth, there seems to be kind of, or at least up until Endgame, there was kind of a more marked split between the two. You've got Guardians of the Galaxy in outer space, Captain Marvel in outer space, and then once Marvel shows up on planet Earth, once Endgame happens, it kind of blend the two. But this really does kind of seem like there's going to be more of an intertwining between the two of them. I know we talked briefly about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the past. I have... I'm like three or four seasons behind, but apparently they're now in outer space. And so that's more yeah. of a connection there. Um, I don't know what this means for the larger MCU picture. I'm not sure, but it certainly does. It, I mean, there's a ton of questions that would have to be answered based on yeah. what's going on there. Um, I don't know. Outside of what you said, do you have, do you have any other thoughts on this? kind of crazy twist <laughs> no not that that's that's pretty much all i got we'll, we'll find out i mean i wonder how long fury uh fury how sam jackson is going to play fury it, it yeah you know he was essentially not in endgame yeah that's true he just, just kind of showed Tony's up in the funeral. funeral yeah yeah so but uh but other than that that was i think that was the mid and now Marvel has given us mid credits and after post credits things now, um, and the post credit scene. Oh, I'm sorry that that was the post credit scene. In the mid credit scene is when you know we're seeing Peter and MJ kind of swinging around New York, and uh, obviously they're in the middle of finally being in a relationship together. And then on it must have been Times Square, right? The big screen or all, like all the screens you see. Yeah who shows up from J. Jonah Jameson um, from the he wasn't, I don't think he was in the amazing movies, but but definitely from the Sam Raimi movies <laughs> shows up and has he's like this um, Infowars style like on, <laughs> kind of broadcast that he, he's got going and he shows footage of Mysterio and Beck that incriminates spider-man as he's the one that was doing all the crazy stuff and also reveals his secret identity as peter parker and then we get you know uh peter's reaction <laughs> to that obvious bombshell and that uh yeah i mean that that's huge going forward that he'll obviously have to deal with that in whatever next movie we get yeah and it's it'll be i mean i guess in theory they can they can address it in the next Spider-Man. I just don't know how they would be able to pull it off based on these, you know, the contract negotiations and everything, like what characters are allowed where. Um, yeah. I mean, it would certainly be a huge bummer if they would have to just drop that massive <laughs> <laughs> reveal and not address it in the next fall. I mean, it, it just seems like they would have to. They'd have to do something. But, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun seeing... Uh, J.K. Simmons back as uh, Jameson, which I didn't expect at all. And it was just a lot of fun seeing him pop back up, especially mm -hmm. seeing as how he was in entirely different, quote-unquote, universe of, of Spider-Man movies. The fact they brought him back was really unexpected, which was fun. It was almost like seeing... Uh, who was... I guess there was... I guess Alfred and... The guy who played Alfred and the guy who played Commissioner Gordon crossed over between the Tim Burton movies and the uh, Richard Donner movies, I believe. Well, not Richard Donner, Joel Schumacher, excuse me. 
Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I think they appeared yeah, yeah. also. It was kind of, it was kind of that kind of moment where you, yeah, it was just this weird bridge, this weird connection, which I thought was fun, and then obviously kind of huge stakes when <laughs> everyone now knows that he's Spider Man and he's framed for the events of the Elementals and the the senseless yeah. murder of uh, <laughs> of Mysterio. Of Mysterio. Right. See, again, it's kind of, it's kind of tricky for the fans. I don't I don't know how. I mean, it was exciting at the time, like it was really kind of a cool moment both of those scenes and now with everything up in the air you don't really know how they're going to address it and what what, what where we're going to go from here which is yeah we'll see what happens <laughs> it'll be interesting as you wish alright that leads us into our final segment that we call the reboot wish list we take a look at our ideas for reboots sequels or reimaginings we're hoping to see out there in the future never really expecting them to come true except for the Obi-Wan Kenobi situation only sort of halfway oh, right. you're never going to let me <laughs> absolutely I'm going to harp on that, that. I, give me something I never get anything here uh, Justin what are you interested in uh, on your list of reboots well, this uh, this time I got something I I caught one of the original movies on on TV a couple a week or so ago, and it, it made me think that uh, that we definitely need to continue the events of these characters. And it's funny that you mentioned that I like mentioning. It's funny that you mentioned that I like mentioning, <laughs> but that I talk about Nicolas Cage a lot because this episode <laughs> I want a re- I want a sequel, not a reboot. I want a sequel. To National Treasure. I want a third movie. Third National Treasure? I do. Because <laughs> at the end of the second one, Book of Secrets, they kind of leave something open for a future uh, a future uh, installment, and I, I would like to see. Because those movies are just fun, man. It's Nick, Nick Cage in a really good place, being quirky and funny and still have an action-y. Yeah, it seemed kind of mainstream for him. Yeah, and, uh, and all the other, you know, character i mean even the last one had ed harris and helen mirren i mean as the added characters uh, helen mirren playing nicholas cage's mother yes so his parents are you know john voight and the and, uh, and helen mirren so but yeah at the end of book of secrets the the president asks him if he had seen this page that he wanted him to take a look at in the book of secrets which they finally found and he says, yes, Mr. President, I think I can help with that. And then that, that's it. So it could be anything. <laughs> any, any kind of mystery in the, in the history of the world that he could... Uh, usually it has something to do with America, right? So, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what I would like. That's my wish. It doesn't have to stay in America. They could call it international treasure and just have him leave the country. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I've actually... I've seen the first. I've never seen the second one, so I didn't realize that they had left it so open-ended. But I would... I'd, you know, I'd absolutely watch... Another Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> Nicolas Cage cast. Nice. Yeah, so that's my my choice for uh, for the wish list this time. What about you? What do you got? Well, as we're kind of creeping up towards Halloween, I know we got a month or so until we get there. Uh, last episode, I talked about a proper reboot or sequel to uh, My Man Freddy Krueger. And this time around, there was actually an open letter that a screenwriter who I guess wrote a treatment or a screenplay for a new Friday the 13th movie uh, he's trying to push the, the powers that be the creative owners of the character Jason Voorhees the 
I guess I guess there's this like, this massive lawsuit involved with the original creators of Friday the 13th and then some writer or something. I, I don't know the exact particulars, but there's a massive lawsuit that has prevented any future Friday the 13th movies from moving forward happening right now between someone who originally came up with it and the current people that own it and the other film companies that have made them over the years. And so I, my reboot wish list item is for them to clean all that up and continue with the Friday the 13th franchise. I thought the reboot they did uh, a few years back was very well done. It, it modernized the character. It felt like a proper... Felt, it felt loyal to the character, felt loyal to the franchise while also doing new stuff and and upping the production values and the gore factor was there. And so I, I would love for them to just settle whatever crap they're dealing with. And now, to be fair, I'd also heard they were going to do like a... They were going to kind of mix it up a little bit for the new one. They were going to do like a found footage type thing or a like a POV type thing where the camera's one of the characters. Like, I don't need any of that. Like, <laughs> if <laughs> if this lawsuit stopped all of those things, that'd be fine with me. I don't need to see those. But, like, I would love to see another Friday the 13th movie, especially, you know, harking back to what they did with Michael Myers. Like, they did such a good job with that. I'd love to see another Friday the 13th that's along those lines, like, still continuing the quality they had for that remake. So, yeah, that's my... Uh, just, just everybody get together. Put the lawyers aside, fix it, and get us a new Friday 13 film. <laughs> Can't we all just get along? That's it. That's all I want. Like give the people what they want. Or give Matt what he wants. That's it. One person. Give the person what he wants. <laughs> just one. That's a good choice, as usual. I don't normally have any issues with your choices, Matt. We'll see one day. We'll find out. <laughs> I disagree. <laughs> you are wrong, sir. <laughs> I do not want to see any more of that. In the future, if they if they went that direction and finally brought that that franchise uh, back again, would you be up for a crossover? How many crossovers have, have there been? I think there's only the one. I think Freddy versus Jason is the one big one. But I mean, over the years, they've talked about bringing Ash from Evil Dead into it. They've talked about bringing. Leatherface into it, which doesn't really make a ton of sense, but I think the the one they did, the Freddy versus Jason, is the one that made the most sense, and I actually think they did a pretty good job with it. I think that they did it in a way that makes sense based on the two worlds that they created. And, uh, yeah, I would absolutely. I'm all for <laughs> ridiculous crossovers like that for sure. <laughs> all right, that is it for this episode of Movies Never Say Die. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We'd also really appreciate it if you take a moment to leave us a review on your preferred podcasting app. It helps us reach new listeners. Also, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, we'd love some feedback, maybe a suggestion for a movie reboot we should take a look at, or uh, something with other wish lists uh, that maybe we haven't thought of. You can always email us at moviesneversaydie at gmail.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at moviesneversaydie. And of course... Hit us up on Twitter at Movies NBR Say Die. I'm Justin St. Ange. I'm Matthew Grant. Thanks for listening. I'm Batman. I freeze. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman Ing. I never had to say I'm Batman. I showed up. People knew I was Batman. You like movies? Hundreds of movies. 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 Never say die!